Hi, everybody. I'm Jessica Brody, and I am the editor of the South Carolina United Methodist Advocate and a huge reader and a huge prayer advocate. And I want to introduce everybody to Lori Hatcher, who has written, in my opinion, an outstanding book called Refresh Your Prayers, Uncommon Devotions to Restore Power and Praise. Lori, tell us about yourself. Thank you, Jessica, for joining me today and for inviting me to be a part of this podcast. I am a transplanted Yankee living happily in the South. My husband likes to say that I wasn't born in the South, but I got here as quickly as I could. We like to say in our family that the blizzard of 78 prompted the migration of 79 from Bristol, Rhode Island to Columbia, South Carolina. As I said, it's been a happy transplant ever since. I'm married to a bivocational pastor. I am also a bivocational, trivocational, quadvocational. <laughs> I'm a career healthcare worker. I've worked in the dental field for almost 40 years. I'm an author. But my favorite job is to be a Gigi to my four grandchildren. So I'm just super happy to be here and to be talking about one of the subjects that's near and dear to my heart, which is the subject of prayer. I think the biggest question I have about your book, and I've read it cover to cover. I love it. I cannot say enough about it. Why did you write Refresher Prayers? How did you get the idea, what is it about prayer that really draws you here? Well, I'm going to make a comparison to something we all experienced during the pandemic, and that was ordering online groceries. Okay, I think most of us at one point or another attempted at least to order groceries online. And you know how it works. You make a list of everything you want, then you submit your order, and you wait. And Eventually, the box arrives and you open it up and you discover what's inside. Sometimes you get exactly what you ordered. Sometimes you get something similar to what you hoped for. And other days you get something totally opposite of what you ordered. You might have ordered bananas and you got Brussels sprouts. Well, that kind of is an example of what my prayer life was for about 20 years. I would submit my list, and then some days I would get exactly what I asked for. Other days I'd get something similar, and other days I'd ask for bananas and get Brussels sprouts. It was frustrating, and it was ineffective. So I went on a search to learn everything I could about prayer. I had so many questions. If God is in control, why bother praying? Is every promise in the Bible meant for me? How can I know God's speaking to me? How much faith do I need to get God to answer my prayers? During that 20-year journey of exploration, I discovered that prayer is so much more than submitting a list of wants and sitting back and waiting for God to deliver. I discovered that prayer is a dynamic, faith-building conversation between two people who love each other. And God invites us to be part of that conversation. It was just so much more than handing over my wish list and waiting for delivery. As I explored the topic of prayer and really 
went deep in my own prayer life, I began leading prayer seminars to share what I had learned with other women. Out of that came the opportunity to write this book with Our Daily Bread Publishing, and the rest is history. Here we are today talking about Refresh Your Prayers. I love that so much. And I love the idea that it is a conversation, not just turning over your wish list. So I'm wondering if you can share why should we pray? If it's not about getting what we want, why should we pray? I think prayer in its most basic form is just talking to God and asking asking him for needs. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. He invites us to bring our needs to him. And as a good, kind father, he loves to meet our needs. But that's the beginning. I think that's baby prayer faith is coming to God with our needs and then waiting for him to answer. If you think about our own relationships, many of us have children or we have children in our lives. From the very beginning, our children expect us to meet their needs. And that's the majority of the conversation. It's them screaming and us feeding them or them crying and us changing their diaper. But over the process of caring for them and meeting their needs, they learn to trust us. They learn that we are good and kind and faithful and dependable and benevolent and hopefully fun and enjoyable to be around. And that's the way I think a prayer journey with God works. We begin in just our infancy, our spiritual infancy, by asking him to meet our needs, to give us things that we can't do for ourselves. And then in the process, we learn he's faithful, he's good, he's dependable, he's benevolent, he's delightful. We begin to develop a relationship with him. We learn to love him and we learn how much he loves us. We learn to trust him. When scary things come into our lives, we learn to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from God and we learn gratitude. And so why should we pray? We should pray because we need things. We need help. But we also should pray just to get to know God better. I think that's the primary reason he invites us to pray is to have a conversation with the lover of our souls. That was absolutely beautiful. And I think there is sometimes a misconception. I know I used to feel this way about whether there is a perfect way we're supposed to pray. Are we supposed to use certain words? Do we need to be in a specific posture? How should we pray? Or do we even need to use words all the time? Can these be prayers in our heads? So can you share a little about how we should pray? Well, if we think about what prayer truly is, it's a conversation between two people who love each other. I'll use my husband as an example because I love him very much. We've been married almost 38 years and he's my best friend. So when we sit down to have a conversation, I seldom say most honorable and gracious husband, thankest thou me for your faithful love and care for us. <laughs> I just say, honey, 
I love you. Thank you so much for being my husband and for being so faithful to me for so many years. And right now I've got a problem. My car has a flat tire and I have no idea what to do to fix this. Can you please help me? And God invites us to talk just like that to him, to be honest, to be transparent, to be ourselves. We don't have to use special words or face the East or be in this posture. We can just talk to him like a friend because he's a person. Now he is a holy and righteous and miraculous person, but he's a person just like we are in many ways. That's one of the reasons I love the Psalms because many of the Psalms were King David's prayers to God. And if you read the Psalms, you see how sometimes he was just really upset and he was just pouring out his heart to God. Other times he was in celebration. He was worshiping and grateful and praise. Other times he was just at his wits end and not knowing what to do next. And he told God that. I guess I discovered a long time ago, there was no use to posture before God because he knows our hearts. So there's no way I could fool him. So I just like Papa used to say, I am what I am. And that's all that I am. So what are some things we should pray for? I, I imagine, you know, like you're saying, not just requests, but conversation, but what are things beyond things we think we need? What if we find ourselves in prayer with the Lord and we don't even have the words, we don't even know what we need in that sense, if, if we're in that position, what should we be praying for? I wrestled with this one day. I was having a conversation at a wedding reception with an amazing woman. Her name is Frida Robinson, and she lives in Katali, Kenya. She's a registered nurse. She started a nursing clinic, a school for nurses. She has a feeding center. She has a training center for children. Just huge, huge ministry there in Kenya. And we were talking I knew she was a prayer warrior. And I told her about my first book, Refresh Your Faith. And I asked her if she would please pray that the proposal would find favor with the publishers and it would be published. And she said, absolutely, I will. And then because it was the polite thing to do, I asked her, what may I pray for you? And she said, please pray for food and medicine. It's becoming the rainy season and we have so many children to feed and we're always running short. And then so many of them are sick. When I heard her request, it just broke my heart because I was just overwhelmed with the fact that I'm asking for a book to be published and she's asking for food for starving children and medicine. But as I talked with the Lord about that later and he reminded me that he's a God of unlimited resources and that there aren't big needs and small needs. In his economy, anything, everything is important. And her work in Kenya with orphans and sick people is important. That's what God has called her to do. My work as a Christian author, trying to encourage people in a deeper way, why faith is important too, because he's called both of us to that. So we can confidently bring 
big needs and small needs to God, knowing that they're all small to him and he cares about each one. Tell me a little about your writing process. What was your writing process like? As a woman of prayer and as a woman of faith, did this take a long time? What did you do? Did you pray throughout each one? How did this go for you? Sometimes people ask, how long did it take you to write the book? And I say about 20 years <laughs> because it is it really is a legacy work chronicling the process God has been taking me through over the last 20 years to school me in prayer. And I will be the first to admit that I am not an expert. C.S. Lewis once said that he is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And that's the way I feel with this. These are lessons God has been faithful to teach me through my life and through the study of God's word about prayer. I'm not an expert. I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. So really, because I've led seminars on prayer, because I've written extensively on my blog about prayer, and because I've taught Bible studies, I really have been gathering this material and these examples and these stories about prayer for a long time. So it really was just a gathering of everything God has taught me and then compiling it into five-minute devotions. This is a devotional. It's not an academic handbook. Each devotion has a real-life story that exemplifies or expands on the prayer principle. The main thing I prayed about was which story from my life and from others' lives could best illustrate the spiritual principle that the chapter was about. I wanted to put the spiritual truth in real-life examples so people could identify with it. We don't just want to be educated. We want to be transformed. I think every time we come to God's word, it should be to ask, how can this apply to my life? And the same is true with prayer. I just didn't want to give a bunch of facts about prayer or Bible verses about prayer. I wanted to show how it can be lived out. You've been a Christian for a long time, like you said, have you ever had a season in your life when you had a prayer lapse or a crisis or a problem in coming to God and not just in the beginning, but more recently? And how did you get through it? One of the most challenging seasons of my life was a season of having parenting a prodigal child. And for many who have prodigals in their lives, and I'm not just talking about children, it can be a prodigal husband, it can be a prodigal family member, can be a prodigal friend, you know that those long haul life experiences can just wear you down. They can make you doubt everything you thought to be true. They can make you doubt God's faithfulness and his love. I think about the prophet Habakkuk who cried, how long, oh Lord? And I don't know, I think many of us have prayed, how long, oh Lord? When will we find relief? When will we see victory? When will we see the answer to our prayers? Parenting a prodigal child was probably the hardest spiritual journey and spiritual part of my life, but also the sweetest because 
I think we have to come to the end of ourselves and sometimes reach a point where we feel like everything has been stripped away and all we have left is God to discover that God is enough. He's enough. We received a phone call one evening that just shattered our world. I cried myself to sleep. I cried myself awake. Felt like everything precious had been taken away from me. But because I had developed the discipline of a regular prayer and Bible reading time, when I woke up that morning, muscle memory kicked in. I stumbled out of bed. I could barely see because my eyes were swollen from crying. And I just did what I had done for the last 10 years. I I sat down in my, my lazy boy and I opened my journal and my Bible and I began to pray and I poured out my heart to God, my fears, my frustrations, my sorrow, my disappointment, my hurt. And then I opened my Bible because prayer is a two-way conversation. And for many years, I thought it was just me talking, but any conversation requires two people. One man said that a conversation begins when the first person listens. God had been listening faithfully through all my life, but I hadn't been listening to him. I learned, though, that after I pray to him, I talk to him, then I need to give God a chance to talk back to me. And one of the primary ways he does that is through his word. People say, oh, how do you, have you ever heard from God? Well, if we want to hear from God, all we need to do is open our Bibles because that is how God speaks. So that morning I opened my Bible and I, I waited for God to speak to me. And he spoke to me through his word in such personal and precious ways. He gave me promises to claim for my daughter. He gave me hope for our future. He gave me comfort that my work would one day be rewarded. He just wrapped me in his love. And by the end of that Bible reading and prayer time, nothing had changed in our situation, but God had given me hope. If I hadn't built that discipline of prayer and Bible reading into my life every day, I don't know that we would have survived that season. You know, you have to prepare before the storm so that when you're in the storm, you have what you need. And by then I'd had a, a regular prayer time with God. I knew he heard me and that he cared. And I knew how to hear him, his voice through the word. And that sustained us. Those promises that he gave during those dark times, and it took years. Those promises were true. I clung to them in the good times, in the bad times, and they were my anchor. I would not have survived that season without that regular discipline of prayer and Bible reading. And I'm so, so grateful, so grateful for that. I think one of the things that resonated with me so strongly about your book is that idea of long haul prayer. I personally have been in a season of long haul prayer with my own daughter. She's been experiencing some health issues and mental health issues. Sometimes we Christians, no matter how much we love God and no matter how committed we are, we get in a place where we are in a rut or maybe prayer feels 
rote or it feels boring. And in fact, there's one of your devotionals, Devotional 29, talks about that. Prayer can be boring sometimes. It shouldn't be, you know, but but let's be real. You know, there are just seasons in our life when this is a problem with us, obviously, not with God, but that is how we're feeling. And so talk to me a little bit about that. In fact, let me find that in, in the book here. So the actual devotional is called Prayer Shouldn't Be Boring. And you use the psalm to lead in Psalm 71, 8. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. And then the first line of that devotional is sometimes prayer is boring. There, I said it. Are you shocked? I'm just being honest here. And if you're honest, you'll probably agree. And then you walk us through the way you put it is jazz up our prayer time. Talk to me a little bit about that. Where did that come from? That devotion was a fun one to write because my husband was experiencing a season of unemployment. So he was home every day, all day. (laughs) And one of the practices we put into our lives that we'd never been able to do before, which was to walk every day, to exercise. So we began walking the neighborhood and we wanted to multitask, make that time as efficient as possible. So we prayed. What we found was after about the first two weeks, we were praying the same prayers. We pray for our kids. We pray for a job for him. We pray for financial provision. We pray for the missionaries. We prayed for the, you know, and I don't know if God was bored by our prayers, but we were bored with our prayers. I I felt like I could make a grocery list and pray at the same time. So we decided to switch it up just a little bit because God is a creative God. We're creative people. Let's just switch it up. So we decided to use the alphabet as a guide. And one day we took the letters of the alphabet and we just determined we were not going to ask God for anything. Because prayer is not just asking God for things. Prayer is praise. Prayer is thanksgiving. Prayer is supplication, praying for other people. So one day we decided we weren't going to ask God for anything. Today we were just going to praise him. So we took the letter of the alphabet and we praised him for one of his attributes or characteristics. And we went all the way through the alphabet. God, I just praise you that you are awesome. You are greater than anything, anyone in the universe. Father, I praise you for your benevolence and how kind and gracious you are to us. Father, you are creative. We just marvel at your creative beauty that you surround us with. And we went all the way through the alphabet. And let me tell you, that was a season of unemployment. We were often discouraged. But you start praising God for all his attributes, and all of a sudden, you realize you are in very good hands, that you can trust God. God can handle this. So, oh my goodness, the emotional and faith-building experience that was. Other days, we've used the alphabet to pray for people using the first letter of their name or the last letter of their name. It doesn't matter. We had the opportunity to pray for people maybe that we hadn't prayed for in years sometimes, 
One day we had a rule that we couldn't pray for anybody that we had seen in the last six months. So we were praying for people like from our college years. We were praying for missionaries that we, of course, hadn't seen in the last six months. We really had to get creative. Thankfully, we have uh, a friend whose last name begins with a Z. So we prayed for him. <laughs> and so we we just every now and then just switch things up to keep us from being bored and being boring. There's so many opportunities to do that. If you just think a little bit and get outside the box. So I want to share with you a few of my personal favorites. And honestly, I think depending on what season I'm looking at this or what mood I'm in, my favorites might be different, but I really loved number eight, resting in God's sovereignty about the heartbreaking comment you got from a reader in response to one of your blog posts. Basically, she was saying, you know, it just feels stupid at this point. You know, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. I prayed for that and they died and this happened. What do you do when your prayer is answered with the opposite? You know, what does that mean? Being honest, that happens with all of us. We don't get the, the answers that we want. I also love number 15, persevering in prayer about Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, and how they had spent all this time praying for a child and they never got what they wanted. And then finally, one day, Zechariah is in the temple and he's burning the incense and God tells him his prayer is going to be answered. And he's what prayer? That prayer? I gave up on that a long time ago. So the point of persevering, we have this timeline that we think, okay, we ask, and there is a certain time that we think this needs to have closure, but we're not God and we don't know the full picture. We don't understand timing in the same way. I also love the one about the bully in the stairwell when you were a little girl and then your dad came and just swooped you up and the bully ran and how our father is that loving and protective father in heaven as well and all of that. And then of course, my favorite, I don't I say of course, but I, I think everyone would find this to be their favorite. The one about Wormy where I have to actually read the beginning of that one. This is great. It's number 41. It's called Raising Lazarus and Wormy. <laughs> it starts out, I, I, I can't think of a better way to start a devotional. My first sincere prayer raised the dead. Subsequent prayers have produced less dramatic results. And it's about when you prayed so fervently for your fish that died, you plopped the fish in and you just cried your heart out. And then the next morning, Wormy was alive, just like Lazarus being raised from the dead. And, you know, sometimes prayer has these big, dramatic, exciting, wonderful things that come out of it. And then sometimes they're more subtle. I could probably go on and on, but those really, really stuck with me. And they're still speaking into my heart. Do you have any favorite devotionals that really hit you that you wrote in this book? Was there one that was especially fun to write or especially hard to write or, or one that now all these, I imagine months, maybe a year, years after writing this that are still just as powerful for you as when you wrote them? Having lived through the experience of a prodigal child and other prodigal family members 
one of my favorite devotions is the chapter, If Your Loved Ones Still Aren't Saved, because I know probably every believer has loved ones that aren't Christians, and they pray fervently and long-term for their salvation. And Jessica, you mentioned the devotion about Zechariah. What I love about the lesson in that biblical story is that our prayers never expire. So even if we don't see our loved one's salvation, even in our lifetime, we can know that our prayers go on into eternity. God is not limited by our agenda or or even our lifetimes. We can trust him. If our prayers didn't matter, if our prayers didn't affect eternity, God wouldn't tell us to pray, but he does. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, and I won't quote this exactly, is he says, you may wonder, because some people wonder, well, if God's going to do what God's going to do, why bother praying? And C.S. Lewis addressed this. He said, you may wonder if the answer has already been determined, and it has been before the beginning of time. Who's to say that your prayer wasn't part of that answer. And so in eternity past, God knew we would pray. He called us to pray. And I believe when we do pray, it's because he's at work. Even if we can't see him, he is at work in that situation. And because he wants us to share the joy in that work, he invites us to pray and be a part of it. If you think about situations you've prayed about. In the book, I share the story of a family in our church that had a newborn baby who was born with a heart defect, and they knew they were going to have to do surgery on him before he ever left the hospital. And they told, they told his parents that it would, he would, they would do the surgery. And if all went well, maybe after 10 days or so, they could release him to go home. And so our pastor brought that need before our church and we prayed, we as a church prayed, everyone took turns praying for little baby Jared. And in that prayer meeting, God, I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt me, pray for more, pray for more because God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask or imagine. And I said, Lord, I do pray for that little baby. I pray, give the doctor's skill to repair his heart. And Lord, I pray that he would do so well that he would come home even before 10 days. I just felt prompted by the Lord to ask that. And the next week when we came back to prayer meeting, our pastor gave us an update and he said, the babies did well, the surgery went great. And I'm delighted to report that he is already home. Now, did I change God's mind about when that baby should go home from the hospital? No, but I believe he knew. I know he knew exactly what he was going to do. And he put it on my heart to ask for that so that I could share the joy of that tremendous answer to prayer. So God invites us to pray, to share his joy and be part of his work. So whenever, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you think about that prodigal child or that wayward friend or that spouse that it's just not walking with the Lord, that's God prompting you to pray. He's at work and he's inviting you to be part of that. 
One of my favorite verses is Galatians 6, 9, that tells us not to be weary in doing good for you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's a promise. We need to persevere in the strength that God gives us so that we'll reap that harvest. My last question is, if nothing else, what is a key thing or some of the key things you hope that readers will get from your book? Probably the most powerful truth we can take away regarding prayer is that it's an invitation to a relationship. I wouldn't have a very good relationship with my husband or my children or my friends if I didn't talk with them regularly. And if I didn't listen to them when they spoke to me in prayer, we have a tremendous privilege an invitation to fellowship with the creator of the universe every day, any time of the day or night. He invites us to come to pray without ceasing, to share our fears and our hopes and our dreams and our needs with him, and then to gain his wisdom, to gain his comfort, to gain his presence through Bible reading, which is the second part of prayer. We speak through prayer. God speaks through our Bible. He also speaks through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through wise counsel. But primarily in this day and age, he speaks to us through his word. If nothing else, I want listeners to know that prayer is a privilege. It is an invitation to a conversation with the lover of our souls, the God of the universe who loved us and who died for us. Romans tells us, he who spared not his own son, but willingly gave him up for us all, how will he not give us all things? I believe that that invitation to a relationship is the most precious treasure that we have as Christians. On that lovely and beautiful note, would you be willing to close us out in a prayer? I would love to. Father God, thank you for your love for the gift of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to save us from our sins and to make a relationship possible. Thank you, Father, for the invitation of prayer, for the privilege of coming before you, bringing our needs, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our praise, our thanksgiving to you. Father, thank you that you are a relational God who wants to have a relationship with us. Father, I pray that we would not neglect that great privilege, that we would come to you every day, that we'd share what's closest and dearest on our heart with you because you know it already, but we need to say it, Father. We need to say it to know that you hear it. Father, I pray for each listener today, Lord, you know the burdens that they bear, the disappointments and the hurts and the fears and the needs. God, I pray that you would filter those through your fingers of love and that you would work as only you can. Father, draw people to yourself, to your word, into your kingdom, Father. And I pray that we would bring you glory through our lives, Father, that you would be pleased to answer our prayers and that you would use our prayers to be part of the great work that you are doing here in the world. Father, we give you honor, glory, and praise in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.